0: Welcome to a special 58th New York Film Festival edition of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Today, NYFF programmer Florence Almazzini is joined by director Azazel Jacobs and actors Michelle Pfeiffer and Lucas Hedges to discuss French Exit. In the closing night selection, Pfeiffer is entirely bewitching as an imperious, widowed New York socialite who, facing financial insolvency, relocates to a friend's empty apartment in Paris with her dyspeptic son Malcolm and their mercurial cat and begins to grimly plan for an impossible future. Azazel Jacobs' adaptation of the best-selling novel by Patrick DeWitt is a rare American film of genuine eccentricity, with a brilliant central performance. French exit at NYFF 58 is sponsored by Campari. Let's go now to the conversation.
1: Love cinema? So do we. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. The latest conversations with the world's greatest filmmakers will be delivered to your library as soon as they become available. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the film. And I'm very excited to bring back uh, the director, Azazel, uh, is here, and also the wonderful cast led with Michelle Pfeiffer and Lucas Hedges, who are also somewhere on the screen. So I see. I, Hi. Hello. Uh, so I'm going to start with a uh, few questions. Maybe I'll start with you, Azar, to, and then we can bring the uh, Michel and Lucas the, into the discussion. Uh, your film is based, obviously, on a novel by Patrick Devitt. It's uh, someone you worked with before um, on Terry, uh, that was made a few years ago. But can you talk specifically about how this? movie came about uh, or you talk about the adaptation and your involvement from the book to the script
2: sure i mean patrick and i have been uh, close friends for a very long time and so we've been sharing our work at pretty on not like late stages but uh, not complete finished stages um which has kind of given me this amazing window into his work but also uh the chance to kind of think uh, very early on, whether his writing, his, whatever book he's working on, is a story that I think I can want to tell or that I think I could do a good job telling. Um, I can't exactly say like why this, you know, why French Exit over Sisters Brothers. But like when I read Sisters Brothers, though, I loved the book and felt very close to it. I, I could tell that I wasn't the director for that. Um, but with French Exit, I read a manuscript, I guess, about three and a half years ago. And uh, just called them up immediately afterwards, and I just, maybe because I didn't know yet um, why I was so connected, but I felt immediately so connected to the story, was enough for me to go on and feel like, oh, I have something. I know I have a connection here, and this is enough for me to go on and want to tell the story.
1: But did you also work with him from, uh, on the script, or did Patrick write?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I did work with Patrick on the script, but really, I mean, he's, he's written a few scripts um, since Terry, since we did Terry in t- uh, 2011 is when it came out. So in 2010, he had written that, and that was really his first screenplay. Um, and we would meet up. Like, I went to Portland. um and then, you know, we would just kind of give notes and leave him alone for a while. Uh, and then he continued to work on it. And then once uh, Lucas and Michelle were both involved, we also cont- continued to talk to him about the script and give notes and ideas and things that we were inspired by. And we kept going back to the book, the three of us. I think the book, yeah. in, in for us, um, had something that we very, very much wanted to hold on to. I know sometimes with adaptations, people want to push away from the book. But in this case, we kind of use the book as the, the testament to keep leaning on and going, okay, can we dig farther into something that, you, that he had already done? How do we represent this in this uh, script? Um, and Pat was very much open to that, including the, the changes that happen when you go into um, shooting you know, where you just have to make choices that were for things that to translate, either be more cinematic or um, more precise. You just have to make these changes. Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, since we're very lucky to have uh, Michelle and Lucas with us, I wanted to ask you about the casting of the film, because it's something you've said before, it's your visual approach is dictated by the performers themselves. So, do you start thinking about this uh, before casting, or does that come later in the process, like when you already are working with the actors, when you're rehearsing, when you're filming? And what were you really looking for, you know, in terms of vulnerability for the characters?
2: Well, again, you know, reading French Exit, it's not a world that I'm familiar with. Even though I grew up in New York City, I didn't know this particular world of New York City. Um, and so I liked the fantasy that it brought, at least into my mind, and the way that I imagined things. So there was this great opportunity to create a world that felt Grounded in a certain way, but also theatrical. And that kind of mixture is something that really super inspires me. Um, so it wasn't so much about how do we represent this, but how um, how can we create something that has some of these elements in there, but also shape our own world? Um, I'm trying to think of, like, obviously, like meeting Michelle and Lucas and working with them absolutely influenced the style and, and influenced different things about it, but I think the conversation with my cinematographer, Tobias Datum, started really early on, like probably, you know, a year before they got involved. Um, I'm thinking, like, we were inspired by certain, I I could say certain, let's see, more recent films. Like, The Favourite gave me some, it gave me some encouragement. There was something in The Favourite that I was like, oh, there was... uh, there was something for me to chase. Definitely Phantom Thread was another uh, big inspiration just in terms of what uh, Toby and I spoke about, but it had a lot to do with just kind of collecting influences from all over the place. And then also kind of reflecting my experiences, whether it was being in Paris or just what it feels like just working, um, you know, with these fabricated sets and just really creating a world the way that we imagined or wanted it to be. So giving the choices of no cell phones or no computers. It's really just like a wishful thinking. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, can Michelle and Lucas just tell me, I mean, obviously uh, it seems like you've read the book and you participated in the script too, but can you tell each of you, can you tell me what attracted you to to the book, the script and the role? Uh, maybe you can start, we can start with Michelle.
3: Well, <sighs> I mean, you know, Patrick's writing just transports you and he has it's this combination of painting these wildly kind of eccentric um slightly larger than life characters and yet rooted in this reality and bringing you inside to um you know, into these sort of insular worlds that you um, otherwise, you know, from the outside would never, you know, experience or even um, expect. And I think that was the, I found that with uh, the character of Francis, because I didn't grow like as I didn't grow up certainly in this world or even near this world. I grew up in California. I don't, and I, I don't, think I even knew this sort of world existed um which is interesting kind of we all live in our own bubbles right whatever bubble you happen to live in but um um and I think be beca- and funny and witty and just really really smart and sophisticated and unapologetic at the same time incredibly moving and it's a very um you know, it's um, really particular to Patrick's writing. You can't even, it's not really comparable to anyone else. But I loved Francis. I loved Malcolm. I loved all of these people. I thought it was just one of the strangest, most lovely things I had ever read.
1: Did, did you read it before? Have you read the book before?
3: No, I read the script. And then I immediately ordered the book. And, it you know, the the adaptation is just so close. And it's really it really stays true to the tone and the voice of the book and the um, um, you just, it's really when you love a novel so much, you know, it's really hard to lose anything. Um, but inevitably we'd hit spots in the script during filming and I'd be like, I don't understand this. Why is she saying this? Why is she's doing this? What is happening? And we would, every like two days I'd come to Oz and I'd say, I don't understand this. And then I'd find it in the book and inevitably it was, it was there like one small sentence and it would explain something that I'd been perplexed by for months. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And
1: for you, Lucas.
4: Yeah, I am. I I think the moment there's, there's a moment. And because everyone watching this has seen the movie, I can say it. uh, Uh, the moment I fell in love with the script was early on. It was the scene when Malcolm comes into the kitchen and his mom, Frances, is uh, like sort of maniacally sharpening her knife. Oh, oh I, I, I assume this is still in the movie. I, I thought
2: that. That Lucas has not seen the film yet. He will be watching it on the <laughs> drive-in for the first time.
4: What's in my
1: version, there was a knife. <laughs>
4: it is yeah (laughs) um and uh there was something about it that was so it it was funny but it was funny in a way that pointed out something about humans which is that most of us are kind of insane I think and I think there's a, a a motor and an engine running in us that we rarely give voice to which is something that is kind of uh, especially when in, in tough situations sort of just wants to like sharpen a knife in the dark or like, like, um, and, yeah. There, and, and I found that that Patrick's, uh, cre- his writing voice continually surprised me throughout the, throughout the, the whole book. It was like, um, uh, I don't, I don't even know what to compare it to, but there was, some, there was something about Malcolm that I did. I just didn't understand. He, he didn't, he didn't make sense to me in a way that I was really drawn to. Like there was, and I I played a bunch of characters before this who were very, uh, who were enduring situations that were very traumatic or troublesome. And Malcolm sort of he had this he has this really weird life in which there's a lot of dissonance, and yet, and yet he sort of handles like like I I don't I don't um there's something completely unique to the way that he chose to deal with his issues and in a way that didn't make any sense to me but the way that Patrick the more I read of the book and 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 the way that he outlined his behavior and there's a there's a flashback in the book that really helped me understand uh the character and, and uh yeah, I, I, he's just he, really one of my favorite writers, uh, and uh, I, I fell in love with this craft.
1: It's definitely like neither of you have an easy part to play, because uh, Frances is not very sympathetic, you know. I mean, you can see her as not a really nice person, uh, she, she, you know, she left her husband, died like, dead in a hotel room, she abandoned her son when she's young, she doesn't really have friends, she's not really friendly or nice. So it's not something that people would embrace in playing, and yet you have to make her like look very sympathetic and that someone that we are attracted to. And it's very difficult to do this, it's challenging, because we... This, she internalized all her pain and all the suffering and all the traumatic things that happened in her life. And you have to play it like this and it's the same for Malcolm because you have to play someone who's, who's very distant to everything that happened to him. You're a follower most of the time and then you have to express very subtly, both of you, are you gonna, the pain that you're going through like this and that's why it really works and as an audience so was it challenging for you to play these roles maybe Michelle Michel first
3: uh it was challenging and it was really interesting though because you know when you're um when you're approaching any character you and especially if it's from a novel or you know your job is to try to really flesh them out and, and um even if you're playing a quote-unquote evil or unlikable character, um, you're always trying to find the humanity in it because otherwise it's not terribly interesting and it's pretty predictable. But the thing that I found with Frances was, um, and it was actually kind of more in the ed- editing process that I, it, it really um, um, rang true, is, is the more sympathetic I tried to make her, the less sympathetic she became. And I can't exactly explain that, but it's like the more sympathetic we tried to to make her, the less tragic she Mm. became. And, you know, she's damaged and, um, you know, there are some... References in the book and I think you understand um, in the book a little more clearly about what that damage is and really get a real insight into um, What it's like as a child growing up into this bubble and how um, It really can paralyze you as an adult in just being able to function in kind of the everyday world and Um, and it's kind of tragic in nature that, you know, you sort of don't have the same survival mechanisms that a lot of people or most people grow up with, you know, um, just having to deal with, you know, facing adversity on a daily basis. And, um, um, and so you just, you just don't develop those coping skills. And so, um, but, you know, it's a movie and you can not kind of bring all of that to the screen and so you know hopefully what you come away with is just that um some n- knowledge of or some sense of that sh- of the, the tragic na- nature of, of of her personality and um how um i think i think by the end of the film though it feels hopeful in that that there is a hope for Malcolm to not sort of follow in her footsteps and um, um, so.
4: Yeah, I think, and I think for me, I think it's a, God, I I think I spend a lot, it's hard not to today in this time period to not spend a lot of time uh, wondering if, you are a sympathetic person. I spend a lot of my time thinking if I'm a good or a bad person and trying to sort of maneuver my life so that I can get, I can earn my position as like, Oh, I'm, I'm a human, but I, but I struggle for the right things. And, and it's pretty exhausting, actually that, that struggle. And I think is one of the things I love about this character is he's not really preoccupied with it. And I think, I don't. I don't think we see enough stories about people like that, because um, I think that uh, it feels like a very twenty twenty um, m- intention to sort of just constantly try to constantly trying to earn the the love and admiration of the people around you. Almost like everyone is kind of a politician these days. I think to some extent. I don't. I didn't mean to get political with this um, this comment, but. But um, I I do feel that way and and I I have great respect for artists and writers who tell stories about people who who are unflinchingly human. And I think Malcolm is flawed and lazy and confused and and also just like just a human being who has a heart and loves deeply and, and, and what a beautiful thing to get to portray that.
2: Yeah, I, I would just kind of just jump in too. That for me at least, and again, I, I it begins with Patrick's wonderful writing that I had fallen in love with people that I didn't understand what it was about them that I loved. Like what was I connecting? Especially since their issues, their problems seem so far away from all, almost everybody's, um, including mine. But it really was that asking what what is my connection, which is something that I really enjoy about films where you have to find what it is about, even with people that you uh, maybe maybe not on the surface, you can understand, see what's heroic about them or what's good about them, but you feel a connection and it makes, and it forced me to dig deep. And so myself, and keep asking these questions and, and seeing Michelle and Lucas and really all of our actors bringing these characters to alive, uh, live, I constantly was Still just like loving them and 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 not questioning what they were doing, but just pursuing where that love was coming from, what was it that I com- continued to admire and still do you know mm-hmm. yeah.
1: thank you um that's something I always liked in your films Zaza. it's um the pacing and the the pacing you put in the film because. Even if you take a story that could be nearly conventional, it's filmed in a way, or maybe not in the shooting itself, but it always comes where the pacing is a little bit unexpected all the time. It's either like a little slower than you would, you think it would be. Uh, it's a little destabilizing a little bit. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit how you achieve that balance, you know, that, that pacing, if it's like from the shooting or it's like more like into editing. I don't know if you still edit your films um, but it's, uh, there's a lot of scenes like this for like oh this oh no it doesn't happen like this and it it makes it very unique and very original.
2: It's good to hear. I would say it's definitely not anything that I impose or like I try to force onto the film. It's not something that I'm looking for. I, I'm always trying to cut true to the material and to the rhythm of the material and to the performances. Um, but it makes sense what you're saying. I think like I'm very much inspired by artists that are out of step. And uh, I think that I make films about people and for an audience that feels out of step. So it makes sense that what you're saying happens. Um, But again, it's really just trying to stay true to the material for me. I mean, sometimes I wonder just like, I'm still quite dyslexic, so I wonder if just what feels normal to me towards pacing translates in this odd way, but it feels feels human to me. There's nothing that feels unnatural, though I can see from what you're saying. I think the bigger thing for me is how to continue to surprise in terms of directions that we're going. And I really, really love that about uh, stories and films and um, really any art if it can kind of feel like it's making all these random turns in all these different directions that you wouldn't expect, but then ultimately when you get to them, you realize, okay, this whole path has been very thought out and and controlled. Mm-hmm.
1: No, it's true, you, you'd always lead, I mean, I think in all your work, like you lead the audience in an unexpected direction. So we're just like following the path, and I'm sure it's even more for people who haven't read the book, but even so, because it's not just the story. It's the way it's shot also. where And then people are just like, oh, surprise. Well, and that really is like, the film.
2: I like the in-between. I like seeing, you know, when I'm looking at this performance, especially when I'm in the edit room, I, I, and the editor, Hilda Vazua, is um, someone I worked very, very closely with, but I was had an incredible experience working with her on this Um You know, I get to see these choices that these actors make frame by frame and beat by beat. And I really enjoy being in the air with them and breathing with them and allowing us to sit with them and feel what their lives are like, even in these moments of silences or in these moments in between as they get up and walk from one place to another. I feel like that's as much as a um, a character development as anything that they could say or any big action.
1: (laughs) So talking about, you know, it's it's a great ensemble cast because there's a lot of really great roles for everyone. And everybody has an interesting story. Even the smaller roles are very much alive and you want to know more about them also. But I was wondering when, when all the characters, the cast is so strong, is it more, does that create like level of challenges and difficulty for like for you, Michel or for you, Lucas? Do you feel like do you need to fight more for your role and your character, or does you come across and just mingle? And you know, it's just it's many people in there that are fighting for their scenes and that part, and bonds the chemistry works really well.
3: Well, I found that it's not really it's not it, it's not really people or actors fighting for their parts. It, it's it's um, fighting for the truth of their character and what and the behavior of their character and and what there was only one scene it was that end scene and it was just massive and and uh, um, you know um, where I I felt like I was a little bit sort of fighting for the 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 the, the, um, the, the, the truth of of who who my character was in that moment in the film um, but um, I mean that is the beauty of this writing and the beauty of this casting. It's so it's so beautifully um cast. Um each of these actors just um it's just really a tribute to each of these actors playing these roles that they were able to bring that kind of dimension to them because, you know, it's only on paper. And um and that was the other thing about about the way Oza um, directed this film, and you speak about the tone, and you speak about the pacing and the timing. I read this, and I thought, this is such beautiful material that could so easily go off the rails because the tone of this is so, so critical. And, um, you know, Oza just hit it. He just really, from the get-go, and it's a hard thing to describe to an actor what that tone is. Um, but... Um, you know, I guess you know. It's it's. I love working with an ensemble cast. I really. Um, it's, it's um. It's really some of the most enjoyable um, time I've ever spent on a movie set. Is 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 working with a, a big group of people.
4: Yeah, and I, I think for me, I I never felt like I was fighting for. Uh, the spotlight in any way, I, I, I felt, um, and I, I, I attribute, I, I feel like Ozzy did such a great job of seeing, I felt so seen, I, and I feel like he felt, he made everybody feel that way, but there, I really felt like he was watching me in a way that that was very, I hadn't, I felt like I was, I was being intimately taken care of as an actor in a way that helped me I imagine that sort of fight for the spotlight would only come from from would come from an insecure place of not really knowing what was going on and i i I felt like whenever I lost sight of it, he came in and, and helped guide me back into it so and it was always about some kind of emotional truth or some ways in which and the world was the world was so so much of why I loved doing this movie was the fact that I loved watching the movie unfold before my eyes. I loved that world. I couldn't wait to film those scenes at the end where we were all together because I wanted to have those experiences. I wanted to be in the apartment with all those people. I wanted to be at the party and to be drunk at the at 3am, you know, like that was so much of why I wanted to do this project was to have this experience. So it, I, I, if, if I, if I was solely focused on myself, I would have missed out on on why I wanted to be there.
1: Good to know about the drinking at three AM in the apartment. For we weren't
4: drunk. We weren't <laughs> drunk. So it was water.
2: It was great. <laughs> to get you? <laughs> it was great, but it definitely was in the in the room when we were all packed in there. You could feel the sense of what. It reflected the story very much. You felt everybody in this room and all working together and really working in tandem. And it had so much to do with, with confidence from all of the actors. Um, I don't think there was any fighting because people were always being who they were no matter where, where in the frame they were. Um, so there was never an issue for me where we could go someplace and somebody wasn't in the moment. Um, it just allowed these to, to play it more as instruments where people were stepping forward and this note was coming from this person at this point and was building to here and then building up here and allow, allowing this to kind of crescendo in the way that it hopefully does.
1: Were you making watch movies to prepare or just uh, in general?
2: Yeah, we watched, um, well, let's see, with Michelle... Uh, I gave you Trouble in Paradise, and I think uh, maybe La Strada, or La Dolce Vita, one of those that I found like, because I, I felt like mm-hmm. there was a connection between that, Felini, at least the way that I understood the socialite world was really through Fellini films and just that circusy feel to it. I mm-hmm. think with Lucas, on our very, very first meeting, which was just great, you know, uh, we, just, we met for lunch and then I I was talking about inspiration. I brought up Charismaki and that La Vida Behem. And I was like, well, actually, it's playing tonight at the Metrograph. And and Lucas is like, okay, well, I'll meet you there. But I didn't really expect him to be in the lobby when I went later on that night. But there he was. And um, we watched that. And that was really our first. And then we wound up, I think, from there to King of Comedy, maybe. And then. Sorry.
4: Yeah. And Playtime. Jack uh, Jack Tati, and, and then Popeye and um, I think there was another, but La Vida Bohem was so helpful because there's a character who like slept, sleeps in his suit, and it was like in that moment, I think we were we were walking afterwards, and Oz was like what do you do you see any Mal- of Malcolm in it And he mentioned that he felt like that could be in the world of Malcolm, and it totally rung true for me, and that was part of what inspired. Malcolm's costume and just his 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 sort of complete comfort and just one one thing. It felt really right and and and, and there was a through line between this one, this one character. I mean a bunch of the characters in it but I forget the the guy's name but one character in in Love You to bohem Yeah.
1: Uh, you you you're getting a little bit of Jean-Pierre record too, so.
4: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally are yeah, right, yeah. I, I did see that movie and think I want to have his hair, so. <laughs> uh, that's funny.
2: Yeah, we saw that, and then I'm trying to think. We saw, and then, like, I think with every film for mine, I go, I wind up going back to Hal Ashby pretty much all of the time, so I think being there was another one that we watched, and that I think right. a lot about it, and gives me some kind of road map in, of possibilities, at least. Totally.
1: It seems fun to be working with you. It is. At least watching movies with you. I don't know about the acting part, but the watching movies seems kind of fun. (laughs) Yeah,
2: the movie part's fun, the acting part. The making of the movie wasn't
4: fun, but watching (laughs) movies fun. Great projector.
1: (laughs) Um, I think we're going to have to end pretty soon. I did have a final question about um, if you want to discuss the ambiguity of the... The final scene of the movie, which is, you can see. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's that ambiguous. I don't know. I think it also depends if you read the book or haven't read the book, uh, and in what mood you are when you watch the film. Um, I think you I, just answered it. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's true. I think it is, I think, you, I think what you said is right. It's what mood you're in and what you decide to see. Um, and so maybe that is a definition of ambiguous, but I also think it, you know, there's a bunch of changes from book to script and script to movie that, uh, that were made that usually were looking for something just as honest, but more cinematic. And I think that's what, um, that's at least what dictated those choices for me. Um, and and still be as honest as uh, as the as what the writing originally was, and so that was always something that you know, and that Patrick luckily was also very embracing of, um, which I know is sometimes very hard for writers, but just to kind of see um, how this translation can work and how it expands and how it needs to shift because of just the actuality of now making it rather than it just being in our minds.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. It's completely different on a page than on a screen where you don't have the luxury of hiding behind anything else like you see what you see so it it, it kind of the choices you make I think make sense.
2: I, I hope so. And I think that it comes down to uh, the the love that we were all in, the, the the inspiration that we found in that book for all three of us if that is still carried on into the movie, for me, that feels like a success. If that carries on just that thing, that um, it stays true to that sense, whether um, it still winds up being something very different.
1: Great. Well, that was great. I'm really happy we were able to to talk about the film and that everybody had a lot to say. Um, I hope we get to meet in person whenever, um, you know, so the world becomes back to normal eventually. I, I think the movie's scheduled. Well, you know, the movie's gonna be released next year, I think. So I'm always thinking, well, by next year, you know, I'd be able to travel.
2: No, it's been a wonderful thing to have this film to fo- focus on. And it's really been exciting to have this festival as a place to, to aim it towards. And so I really appreciate this, uh, this all of this.
1: Thank you. We all, we all loved the film, so it was really great. But thank you. Out.
4: Thank you so much.
1: So, thank you so much. Thank you. I guess we'll see you at the next press conference, Zoom. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <sometime>. <laughs> see you online. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.